With the blast shield down, I can't even see. <laughs> How am I supposed to fight? <laughs> Wouldn't be a RPG mainframe without a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of slurping. Greetings, programs. The old buddy Ingrid Bernal. Hankrin Fernail here, back with another episode of that podcast that was made to last the old RPG mainframe. And I, th- I think I got like snafu'd on uh, the difference between episode 59 and 60. So this is episode 61. For those of you who identify your podcast by the announcement of the episode within the audio, <laughs> which actually is something I do. I'm joking about it, but it's something I actually do. I'm like, is this one I've already listened to? I'll listen for a second. <laughs> okay, today on the mainframe, I'm going to talk about something that isn't necessarily like a, a sort of a thesis per se, but it's something to think about in your game and something that's, well, obviously been on my brain at the forefront of my thinking lately because of certain conditions that have been imposed upon me. Now, these conditions may seem a little bit crazy, but they have driven me to some new innovation in how I'm doing stuff. And it's wildly different than how I used to do things. And and it's giving me a ton of freedom. And because of this freedom, that's one of those you know, uh, you know, light goes off type moments where I think, oh my gosh, this is like mainframe quality epiphany stuff right here. Then usually about two weeks passes where I'm like, uh, you know, and I have all this like doubt and I'm like, uh, that's probably a dumb idea for a topic. I got to do this other thing anyway. Let me get that done. And then I'm looking, it's like, it's a week into March already. What the, you know, I had that one idea. Maybe I should break it down. And so here we are at episode 61. The topic today is I want to talk about representation. And I want to talk about visual fidelity. I want to think about the whys, the hows, the how comes, and the what fors involving how you represent your game, your world, your characters, your monsters, your terrain, your traps, everything. Now, let me start with where this is all coming from. Why are you even talking about representation, Hankren? We know that this sort of campfire effect, which is something that I absolutely strongly believe in that every single game or even human gathering needs, you need something to gather around and sort of to look at so you aren't just stuck with constant eye contact, even if that is just mugs of beer. Uh, even if that is just the landscape outside or something like that. But if you're just in a sort of a, you know, a, a generally drab room at a table, it's very strange. <laughs> I don't know if you, any of you have ever done anything like this, but it's extremely weird. It's, a, it's almost like why interrogation rooms are designed that way, because it creates this tension, right? And so you don't want tension. You want happiness and fun. So you need your so-called campfire. Now, you guys know me. Back in the day, my campfire was probably 70 to 90% of my game prep making 3d terrain. This stuff was fully painted. It was 3d in the extreme sense too. You guys sort of know my style. It's a really big blocky style that embraces verticality. And there's a lot of like hidden little Easter eggs in the terrain and the terrain is taken as literal during the game. So if, if players see something in the terrain that maybe I hadn't thought of, then it becomes part of the, of the scenario. It's accepted as canonical fact. If the terrain is including it, like the terrain was, and the miniatures, everything was, was, critically interwoven as visually representative of the world we were playing, right? And this is where this word 
representation comes into play. So that's where I came from. Now, in years before that, I came from somewhere sort of in between uh, minimalistic representation and full representation, you know, so the battle mat kind of life, the dry erase life, some miniatures are miniatures, others are represented by dice or pieces of paper or pop cans or Cheetos or whatever. I came from sort of that realm, um, did it that way in the past as well. And then also, if you go really far back, we had a sort of a notebook paper index card world. Um, where we would still draw almost everything and, you know, kind of lay it out in certain ways. But it was considered in, in many ways representative. This is, see this little squiggle in the wall here? That squiggle is really there. Okay, so that's kind of where I come from. But since I've come to my new home here in Runadelphia, like all my variables of my gaming life have changed. For one thing, I live in a very, very small space. So a lot of what I, where I was coming at, uh, coming from, sorry, before, was coming from the point of a person who had a huge facility. You could almost call it like I had an entire large room that was just my workshop room. I had a three car garage in this kind of, you know, small town house. I had a backyard where I could spray paint, doing all kinds of stuff. Here I have a teeny apartment <laughs> on the fifth floor of a building. So like there's no spray painting. I left almost all my terrain at home. And so that's my first variable. Okay. That has changed so much with my game. Like you can put that in your head of like, I, I'm sure a lot of you out there are just like me where you live in a small place and you don't have room for these, you know, titanic shelves of stuff. So that has changed for me a lot. Now, the second one is that our group currently plays in public. We play in a, a beer hall and it, it, there's a lot of benefits to playing in a beer hall. For one thing, there's a lot of energy in the air and that energy, it makes things very awakened as you're playing. There's a lot of like human electricity in the air that makes everything very exciting. Um, also, obviously beer, but then we have a huge, huge table that's really comfortable with lots of room. And because we play on a weeknight, we always get one of these nice big tables and we're kind of in a corner. So it's not like weird, like we're right amongst a crowd of people yelling and drinking and stuff like that. So don't get the wrong image in your head, but we do play in public. We meet in public and play. And so between my small living space and my public table group, whoa. This is an entirely different gaming mindset than where I was coming from before. And it has introduced this fundamental problem to me. And it's the problem of how do I represent our world? Now, you could just show up with a giant plastic bin and you've got all your miniatures and you've got some terrain and, you, you know, you've got your dungeon stackers and all that cool stuff, your LED torches and everything. You just come and like break it out and get it on the table. But I can tell you it's weird, A, and B, it's a pain in the butt to carry that stuff around. I don't have a car. So <laughs> a big plastic bin, at least until I get a cargo bicycle, is a little out of the question. Plus, it's just a little strange to get too elaborate in a public space with miniatures and light up things and 3D terrain. You know, it's just a bit clumsy and a bit odd. It's kind of like people are wondering what the hell you're doing. And so I'm, I'm forced in some ways into this minimalistic mindset. And you guys have probably seen some of my recent posts, um, and I'll throw an image on this post actually too, you know, showing some of the sort of hyper minimalistic stuff that we've been using little cardboard counters as our miniatures and like index cards as our terrain. So what's come up is this question of representation and, and what I wanted to give you guys is the dividends that I've been experiencing, not like a how to, you know, I think you guys can easily visualize how you would do a minimalistic representation, right? For the first step is to avoid miniatures. Miniatures begin the slippery slope. 
to representing your game. Like if you get one cool looking miniature and the other characters are represented by pennies or something, the pennies suddenly look stupid and you're going to want to get those miniatures. Then you want your monsters to be miniatures and then you want, and it's just, and then you want the terrain to look cooler because miniatures sitting on notebook paper, isn't that cool? And so on and so on and so forth. So that would be my first tip. If you were wanting to go minimal and non-representative, just avoid the miniatures. That's your first key step. Find a way. So I just use skull dice as my bad guys of different colors to denote their types. And then we just have little cardboard counters that have symbols on them for the classes for my players and that's it and we play on index cards so your table becomes very two-dimensional and very minimal it takes up about the amount of space that you know maybe a uh, a page of notebook paper would take and the rest is just you and your friends at the table so that's like where we're at so this isn't necessarily a you know podcast about how to do that it's a podcast about the effects that it has uh, the dividends, as I call them so frequently. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. So the first one is the one that's probably going to jump into your head first, which is that the game, including the players, the monsters, the terrain, it stays in the imaginations of the players. And, you know, this has had an interesting effect is, is keeping the world inside the imagination. For one thing, I think it, it causes more doodling, both at the table and between sessions. The, the drawings and the doodles on character sheets or in journals or on napkins, whatever, they become the world. They are the only visual reference for the world. And so they, they gain a new value. And this was something that mentioned was mentioned during our session. Zero was like always needing a space to draw your little character portrait. And so in my mind, I decided to take that to the extreme, which I do with so many things, which was like, that should be the only time that the character is really represented is that portrait that you drew on your character sheet. So we can never show the character in any other way. And it, it keeps it in the imagination. And it also grants a lot of importance to that doodle. And already, I like where this is going. If I have a little drawing in my journal of a monster, that is the representation of the monster. There is no miniature. There's no, you know, Pathfinder pawn or any of this kind of stuff. It's like, it keeps things in the imagination. Now, is this is more minimal and it does ask a little bit more of everyone at the table. But to me, it's exciting. I haven't played that way really this minimally ever. You know, even in my sort of hybrid representation days, we had miniatures and stuff like that. So I think this is exciting. So that's the first piece is that by carefully avoiding representing your world, you keep it inside the minds of everybody. And you guys probably can make the leap into what the next dividend is going to be, which is suddenly description becomes more important than it used to be. Uh, I, I read an article recently about um, leaning on terrain is what it was called, is that you you can accidentally lean on your terrain. So let's take the Umber Hulk as a perfect example. The Umber Hulk is one of my all-time favorite WizKids minis. I think it's one of the best sculpts, the coolest poses, the greatest portrayal of that monster, and also one of my all-time favorite monsters. If I just, and it's a big one too, so I just take that Umber Hulk miniature and I just bang, I slam that sucker on the table its story is told. It's insectoid. It's big. It's lumbering. It has these weird eyes. It, it, it's frightening in its scale and all this kind of stuff. It looks like it burrows. It has this sort of this kind of golden strange color to it with the sheen on it and everything. All that stuff just comes from me slamming that mini on the table. So without doing that, suddenly my description as the GM and the descriptions of the players, it gains a new weight, kind of like that silly little doodle of your character suddenly becomes the portrait of your character. Now the descriptions of things become 
the primary reference by which people know what they are. So another great example is that in our game, we have this big ship called the Orpheus, and it's this sort of big galleon the players were on. And we did not have any drawings. We didn't have any art from the internet. We didn't have any terrain. We had nothing. And even the index card we used to, to represent the Orpheus really only just had like a slight sort of outline that was maybe looked like the outline of a boat seen from above. <laughs> that was it. And so everything about the Orpheus had to be described as far as details, like these, uh, these grooves or like um, notches in the gunnel rails where cannons could be slid out. If you weren't careful when you're working on the ship's crew, you can fall through one of these little gaps. Another one was sort of the way that the hand railing was designed along the gunnels. And we had a lot of uh, sort of excitement in our gameplay because of the specific details of the railings that, you know, help people not fall off of a boat and how you can flip over them or how you can catch yourself or you can wind rope into them and all these sort of things. Now, all of this play could happen with elaborate terrain. But since we had none, our mobility and our investment in the descriptions just became clutch. And to me, this is a good thing for the game. This was a dividend, not a detriment. Now, the next one is a bit of a social thing, which is to do D&D this way, and you could call it theater of the mind, but it's not quite theater of the mind because there is still something in front of you. And it's this non-visual representation of the game. And in my mind, theater of the mind means just people looking at their sheets and their books. There, there is nothing at the center of the table. And I don't find that to be okay. I need some kind of campfire. But when you're doing this minimalist style, I do think that it creates a little bit more of a comfortable eye contact sort of rhythm between players and game master. Whereas looking back, I think my terrain was actually separating us a little bit. Uh, I'm seeing more uh, comedy and more sort of intuitive, just hanging out togetherness <laughs> with reduced terrain. And by extension, I think that other people either walking by or looking at wondering what we might be doing. I think it's less off-putting to other people to see an abstract representation of something that we're doing rather than this kind of um, almost toy-like look to the terrain. Like, oh, look, it's like a whole big pile of toys, which sometimes, you know, really elaborate terrain can feel like that. It can feel like action figures almost. And I think that this invites a healthy interest and response from people around us, this, this minimalism. So both between us as players and game master and between us and passers-by, I think, I think it just creates something very casual and very interesting. Now, the final one that I want to talk about, the, this, these dividends from minimalism. That should, that should have been the name of this podcast. What did I call it about? Representation? Representativity? No, it should be called Dividends of Minimalism by Hank Grinfernail. Anyway, whoa. Okay, the final dividend from minimalism is the hugest one. I saved the best for last, baby. And this is its effect on your prep. Oh my gosh. Removing visual fidelity from your prep. Not, not even just like preparing your, your actual terrain, but I mean your journal thinking, your actual GM thinking. It saves you so much thinking. Now think about making a map as an example. 
if I know that my players are going need to, to need to see this little cave and the squiggly walls on the cave and the squiggly little rock, suddenly I'm worried about how well I drew the little rock or how well shaded the wall is so that you can get a good sense of it. You can get a you know visual representation of a wall, right? And this whole set of new variables starts to open up. And then I start worrying about measurement, right? How far is this little rock pillar from this wall? How far are these stairs when they go down? Then I'm like, ooh, I should probably get my graph paper out, okay? So uh, how far is it from the, the L corner in this corridor to the secret door behind the painting? Okay, that should be about 60 feet, so it's two moves. And like, holy moly, the amount of tactical detailed spatial thinking that comes along with a visually represented game world, at least for me, because maybe I'm just a visual thinker, would devour my prep. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Hell, everybody knows that kind of stuff is awesome. But with all that detail removed, my prep has now turned to be more focused on possible branches, possible outcomes, release valves, as I call them, trap motivations, character motivations, and character names. Remember, you guys, in 2020, I really wanted to work on NPC names and NPC personalities and voices. And this is a great way to get started with that. My focus, instead of how detailed and tactically airtight are my maps and my my spatial encounters, I'm more thinking, okay, I need, you know, two clever names for these guards and maybe sort of attitudes they have. Like one hates his job and the other one just is looking for a promotion, right? And so like their their sort of banter or their dialogue always references these fundamental motivations of theirs. Maybe those motivations could even be used to overcome them in some way. But either way, I'm thinking into a completely different realm here than exactly how far are the guards from the levers and exactly how far are they from the gate and let me draw it so that I can represent it on the table accurately, on and on and on and on. Now, I'm not saying that representative thinking is somehow bad, but just for me, for me on my journey, this difference has been not only a relief in prep, but such a shift in thinking from basically designing like chessboards into designing scenarios, almost like those found in Fiasco. If you guys are familiar with that kind of oddball uh, improv game, it gives roles and scenarios to groups of characters that are interlocked in their motivations in ways that become more and more interesting as they're improvised. To me, that is an area I have not explored that well after all these years of playing. I have not gone that far into it because everyone was always so excited about my visual designs and my sort of combat pacing and stuff like that. And, I, you know, that, that stuff can still be exciting. But this minimalist dividend that I've been gaining has brought my focus not only into tighter prep, but into a different kind of prep, which is more conceptual in nature. And to me, this is the biggest dividend of minimalism. Now, your group might not play in public, and they might be used to, you know, awesome dwarven forge terrain and a full cavalcade of miniatures. And that's all totally awesome, too. Don't get me wrong. I still love that style of play. But for me, the conditions of where I'm at and what I'm doing and who I'm playing with have necessitated this new mindset. And with it, these dividends and sort of, I guess for me, what feel like epiphanies have come along. And so hopefully here for mainframe 61, you guys can gain dividends about your own game. Maybe you want to find a way to emphasize both. Maybe you could have highly representative game sort of trappings, terrain and miniatures, but also get your prep to encapsulate some of these more conceptual, more nuanced, 
more sort of sublime or personality-based concepts in your prep. Maybe you're just looking for both. Or maybe you're being forced to go minimal in the near future, and maybe this is the kind of thinking that you're about to face doing. Either way, I think the number one thing for me here is like, always keep working in your journal and just being straight up brutally honest with yourself about where a session is heading or where your taste in your game is heading. And then adjust and prepare accordingly as your conditions change. So I know a lot of people have like these crazy D&D layers, you know, and they, they don't ever need to face any of these problems because they have all their stuff. But I do have to say, and this is where maybe I'm uh, out on a limb, but these drastic changes in my life have been a fantastic kick in the head as a game master. And we all know that feeling of like getting into a bit of a rut, you know, or some, what some might call burnout, you know, of like playing too many games and kind of getting a little bit cooked and not really seeing the gloss for it, you know, losing sight of the the joys and the, the little joys of it all. You know what I'm saying? And so sometimes these big changes can be that kick in the head that brings you back into it, back into that inspired mindset where you're feeling it again and you're doodling little maps of little forests on your, on your, you know, envelopes <laughs> while you're on the phone or something. You know what I mean? Like, to me, that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think about being inspired. <laughs> All right, so I really just wanted to share with you guys how totally drastically my mindset for prep and execution in my games has changed in the past two months, especially sort of putting down online play for a little while and getting back to the table, but then playing at a public table and with no car and just on a bicycle and adapting to all these things and how it's, it has not proven to be a limit to my game, but an, a force of expansion and renewal. And it's been fantastic. And as always, I'm here on Patreon to share not only the dividends of my experiences, but the experiences themselves to, to just describe what's going on in my world and hope that it gives you insight into what's going on in yours. All right. Those are for now the dividends of minimalism. Sold Ingward Burnall here signing off for episode 61 of the RPG mainframe. And uh, I'll tell you what, I am still, I got the thumb screws on me here for March. This is March, 2020. And I am at 79,000 words in retune. And I think I have three of the endings left to write. I can't believe it. It has been such a gigantic journey to finish this book and it's such a strange book it moves in all these circles and and there's there's sort of timelines that are folding on each other that are slightly different and the way that you're reading it and finding pieces that you missed because the paths you choose and just wow it has been such a journey and i'm so close to the end so if it seems like i'm a little bit quiet or a little bit missing that's what i am busting my butt to finish. And that's going to be in paperback form only. There will not be a PDF. It will only be in hard copy and that'll be out soon. So please keep an eye out for that. And then very excited to say that once Retune is done, it's finally, finally time to move on in full, uh, full throttle to none other than Viking Death Squad. It's finally time to do that. I, I do have to announce, unfortunately, I will not be making it to Gary Khan this year. I'm going to, to have to take a pass on that one, but uh, hopefully as the summer approaches, then uh, more and more cons will be within my reach. The one that you can absolutely count on me being at if you want to come and hang out and have a beer is going to be the Nerdarchy Con. It's their first 
con ever. And that's going to be right here in Philly, PA. So I'm going to be a guest at that. So doing some events, but also since I live right here in the city, I can really participate in the con with my full fervor. And, uh, uh, I hope to make that one of my my favorite cons from here on out unplugged probably as well. Cause it's right here in Philly. So we will definitely raise mugs this year together. My friends, thank you everybody for your support. Welcome to all the new patrons. There's just always a steady stream of shields joining the wall. We grow stronger and stronger every month. My gratitude for it, as you well know is infinite. All right, you guys keep it real and don't steal. You're always going to get a damn good deal. This old anger burn all I'm signing off. I'll see you guys on the internet. And thanks again.